Our scripture reading this morning is rather lengthy. I think it'll go a little well for us if I just sort of scope what we're reading before we read it. Uh, so if you have your bulletin there, just kind of glance down. Don't stand yet. We're not reading. It begins in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 33. And of course, as you might suspect, it picks up right in the middle of a very long discourse. Some of it prose, most of it poetry. And the scene is in verses 33 and 34 is that the Lord God is a forester. He's going through the woods, through the forest, and chopping down all the trees. The trees in Scripture, as we saw in the book of Daniel last year, represent quite often great nations. And the Lord is lopping off all of these nations. He's sawing them, chopping them down. The, the spare, though, is one particular tree. It's chopped down, to be sure. But out of that one tree, the stump that's left there comes forth a little branch, a little shoot coming up out of the stump that is left remaining. This is a theme of the two parts we look at this morning. One is the theme of the shoot, the little branch that's left out of the dead stump. And the other is the remnant, that is the remains or the residue of the people. Massive amounts of people in humanity, but there is a remnant there's a group of survivors. There are a group of escapees, and the Scripture speaks of them. And these are the two Old Testament motifs that we want to look to, just like last time we looked at kind of the scope of the first and second coming of Christ. We're looking at things that sort of shape up and frame our understanding of the advent, the season of the coming of Christ. And we have it here. We have both Christ's first advent and his second advent that are sort of blended together all the way through to the eternal state. In fact, there in chapter 11 in verse 1, we find out that little shoot, of course, who is Christ. He comes, and then it describes the things about him. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, etc. And then it, get down a few more verses. We get down around uh, uh, verses 3 and 4, and it talks about him being the judge. He comes not only as a Savior, and as a teacher and a guide and all the things, a counselor, all the things that are mentioned in verse 2, but he, but he is a, a judge. And he's also an executioner. He comes to execute righteousness. And so we read about what he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. Awful sobering. And this is righteousness and faithfulness. Then in verse 6, he immediately begins to talk about the beauty of the restored earth. The restored creation, special references made to the animals, both the wild animals and the domestic animals, the wolf and the leopard and the calf and the lion, and all of this beautiful picture. But the, but the heart of it is verse 9, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Then verse 10 talks about that day that's coming, that coming day which we see begins with Christ in Bethlehem and will end with Christ coming in the clouds of glory to receive his own. The root of Jesse shall stand as a signal and all the nations shall be looking to him. In that day he will extend his hand yet a second time. In other words, there's another phase. There's a second coming in the coming of Christ to recover the remnant, the remains of the people. 
He will raise a signal for the nations. He will assemble and so forth. And so that takes us down through verse 12. Now let's stand and read it. You thought I was reading it that time, didn't you? Hear now the word of the Lord. Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the boughs from terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down. The lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from the roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide, decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of the people. From Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations, will and assemble the banished of the Israel, and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. The word of the Lord. Be to God. You may be seated. The coming of Christ is very beautifully symbolized here in this kind of interesting picture. It's a picture out there in a wood that has been completely hewn down, and there's a stump, a stump still standing. Perhaps you've seen this in the country and on walks, where you see an old tree stump out there, dried and withered, but yet there's a fresh branch, a little shoot. It's called a rod. It's like a little switch, a little branch. It comes up out of that old dead stump. And we'll talk a little bit about the stump for just a moment. The stump is called the stump of Jesse. Who in the world is Jesse? Well, Jesse was King David's father. Jesse was also the grandson of Boaz and Ruth in the Old Testament. So in that stump, what we have, and they were of the tribe of Judah and lived in the land of, of Judea there in the old days in the land of Judah in actually the little town of Bethlehem. And those fields that had the shepherds where they were watching their flock by night, those were the same fields in which little David took care of his father's flocks. And so this is the historical 
pardon the expression, the historical rooting of Christ in humanity. Because in that stump, we have not only Jesse, not only do we have Ruth and Boaz, but we go back to Judah. Not only do we go back to Judah, but we go back to, to Jacob and to Isaac and then to Abraham. And we go back to Noah and we go back finally all the way back to Adam. In that root we have, in that stump, with this root system coming down from the stump, we have all of the grounding and the rooting of humanity. That's why you will find in the scripture gospels, both in Luke and in Matthew, before the stories of the birth of Christ, you will find genealogies. Because it is important to you to know, as in the case of Matthew's genealogy, that he traces this little shoot, this little branch, this little rod that comes up out of the stump, this little live vine that begins to emerge from the stump, is rooted entirely in, in the book of Matthew in the seed of Abraham. He is the true descendant. All the others have been lopped off. There's one true little shoot. Jesus himself called it when he was teaching. He said, I am the true vine. It's the true tree trunk. It's the coming up of the real one. From now on, every person in humanity is going to be identified by how they relate to that little shoot coming up out of that dead stump of Jesse. Jesus said, I am the vine. Ye are the branches. And he speaks of fruit bearing. Paul will use that same analogy in the book of Romans where he will teach that, that there is a true vine that grows up out of Abraham and out of, out of David and comes up and it is the true Israel of God. And while the natural branches, that is the physical ethnic descendants of Abraham have been lopped off due to their unbelief, there's been wild branches Wild tree branches from all over the woods, Gentiles of all ethnic groups, all kinds of people named here in the scriptures using some of the ancient lands have been grafted into that tree trunk. Not only that, he holds hope that even some of the natural branches that have been lopped off are grafted back in. And so now we have a whole new tree trunk and a whole new tree. In fact, just as I mentioned earlier that trees represent nations, this is the Israel of God. This is the true nation. Jesus Christ is that true vine, and he is that little branch. It's interesting. It may be a coincidence. I'm having scholars have a hard time sometimes connecting these dots and, and trying to stand on good solid ground when they do it, but I don't need a whole lot of solid ground. When I see something in Scripture that thrills my soul, I just take it at face value and go with it. The root word for the name of the town Jesus grew up in is Hebrew is Natsar, and that's what's here, the word branch. Y'all, some few years ago, some of you in the room remember the, the, the ordeal down around Waco with the group that were called the Branch Davidians. Well, that's what they were. They gave their, their, their name. They were an Adventist group. Uh, really messed up in so much of their theology and came to a sad, sad end, as you all remember. But nevertheless, that was the thing they were clinging to. They were going back to something that was fundamentally clear in the Word of God, and that is that there is a, there is a radix, a root, and it is found in a new root that is come up as the shoot 
All the other root system below connects to humanity and connects to Abraham, but it is that true branch, that true vine that is the one to whom we all shall place our faith. And then the other particular uh, um, motif that's used in this uh, section of Scripture and was selected by Mark as part of our sermon today is this idea of the remnant, the root, and now the remnant. The remnant is who all shall be saved. Who are the remnant? Well, they are the ones that have survived that have survived the tribulations that came upon God's people all the way from the earliest days through the Assyrian assault, through the Babylonian captivity, through the the days of Antiochus Epiphanes, through the days of the coming of Christ, and then through the days of the destruction of the nation of Israel under Titus, the Roman officer in 70 AD. All of these ordeals they have God's people have come through and those that survive, those that are the believing remnant. When we come to the Christmas story, we see a handful of these believing remnants. The people left in Israel that were still trusting in the true God, believed in him, was looking to his salvation and not to their own works. We find these people. Think of a couple of them. Well, one of them was Zacharias, his wife, Elizabeth of the priestly family, descendants of Levi, descendants of Aaron. They were faithful. They brought forth their son, John, who was the forerunner, the voice in the wilderness crying, prepare the way of the Lord. When Jesus was born, we found some shepherds who heard the herald angels sing, and came to worship the newborn king. There were the magi. There were people in the temple, an old man, Simeon, who had lived a long, long time and was wondering why he was hanging around so long. And, but the Lord had given him a promise that he would not see death until he had seen the hope of Israel. And a, an older lady wonderful old widow that had served and ministered in the environs of the temple her whole life and she was in the temple when Jesus was brought there by his mother and father to do those ceremonies that are necessary in the early days of a child's life remnant survivors believers those who have come through the great tribulations those who have come through all of the sifting, those who have passed through the judgments, not because of their own, but because God sovereignly and wonderfully had saved them and preserved them. And that's really the doctrine of the remnant. The Lord is coming back to receive his remnant. That's why when you read the book of Revelation, there's a lot of talk in the book of Revelation about perseverance and hanging in there and being and being faithful to the end being faithful even to martyrdom those whose land whose whose garments have been washed in the blood were those who were beheaded for the testimony of Jesus I'm here to tell you if I don't get to preach too much more in my lifetime this is what I'm going to say we are living on the precipice 
of a time of great tribulation, great persecution for Christians. There's a beast out there. There's false prophet out there. There's a great harlot out there. There's an antichrist out there. And the spirit of all these things works diligently. And it says here that the tyranny is, the, is what uh, takes over the world. Satan is a tyrant. In fact, when he talks about the remnant, let me give you where the remnant theme is all through the Old Testament, but just earlier there in chapter 10. I told you we're picking up in the middle of the story with our text, but here's some background to that in verse 2. In that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but they will lean on the Lord. If I was a preacher, I'd stop and preach right here. Leaning on the Lord. You know, we sing that old song, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. The Bible says, Underneath are the Everlasting Arms. Strip it bare. Get it down to the radix. Get it down to the root. Get it down to the fundamentals. Boil it down to the real deal. The only thing that matters in my life, in your life, for our lifetime is how we relate to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we know him? Does he know us? Has he called us? Have we answered? Are we trusting? Are we believing? Are we leaning? Boy, I just love that word. They lean on the Lord. That's the word for absolute dependence and trust. Who lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. In truth, a remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant will return. Destruction is decreed. That's the bad news. Destruction is decreed. This is God speaking about his coming for his people. But the rest of the phrase says, overflowing with righteousness. If I preach, I'd stop right here and preach about that too. Destruction is decreed and the destruction is overflowing with righteousness. What does that mean? That means that the just God of heaven and earth the God that will make no mistakes with respect to justice and fairness, social justice, or any other kind of justice. He'll be the one that will sort it out. He will judge according to righteousness and faithfulness, our text said. He will not just look at the appearance of the eye, but he will judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. And when there's a need for punishment, he will mete it out expertly and fairly and righteously. And overflowing in all of that is righteousness. The judge of all the earth does right. God has committed all judgment to the Son, Jesus said. When they were tormenting Jesus and, and, and persecuting him during his day and, and all that, he said, don't you know I'm the judge? You know, how, how smart is it to insult and to mock and to deride and to curse and to kill the judge? And Jesus Christ is that one. For the Lord God of hosts will make a full end, F-U-L-L-E-N-D, a full end. In other words, he's going to wrap it up. He's going to sum it up. That's the only thing that gives me any kind of peace in this world in which we live. I read my, my uh, uh, YouTube every day and watch it all the news. And listen, there's so much injustice, so much corruption, so much sin, so much violence, so much crookedness. So much lying in this society, it's making me sick to my stomach. If you have any righteousness in your soul at all, you're like the old ancient Lot. He talked about where his soul was vexed. 
my soul is vexed and vexed by the some of the same things that vexed old Lot back there in Sodom. The vexing of the soul, but the Lord will make a full end as to decreed in all the midst of the earth. Thus says the Lord, O my people who dwell in Zion. And by the way, when you read your Old Testament, you read about Zion. It's Zion's hill. There's a whole history to it. It was the place where David set up a tabernacle to worship God, which wasn't like the temple that was in Jerusalem, which he was yet to build, or Solomon, his son, would build. But there was a different kind of worship that was very ordered and structured and very liturgical in the temple. But over in the tabernacle, there wasn't anything but the ark and David. There was nobody in the worship center but Jesus and David. And that's the way it ought to be in a true worship center. I don't care how many stained glass windows you have, what kind of organ and what kind of choir and what kind of elder board or anything else you have. When you get right down to it, there's got to be the Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence of God and the throne of God and his humble people. And that's worship right there. And that's what the Lord is coming to install is that kind of worship center. It's, it's, it's Zion. It's a mountain. It's the holy mountain of the Lord. My people who dwell in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrians. And then he gives an immediate prophecy about how the Assyrians will not, will not overthrow you, but instead the Lord will overcome them. Now, this, this particular theme of the remnant is carried forward in the New Testament. And that's where we can do just a little spot of, um, of gospel preaching before we're done. It's that passage in your text that I did not read. I'm going to read the larger context for you. Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that's to the Jews, to the, to the people of the stump, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs. In other words, God didn't start over with a brand new tree. He worked out of that same old stump that contained the patriarchs, the fathers, in the root system. But coming out of that, he took care of all of the prune to fruit, eliminating and bringing about a new trunk. And that's what, that's what God has done. And in order that the Gentiles, that's the nations, that's the ethnic groups, that's the non-Jews, that's the uncircumcised, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And that's what we do on Zion's Hill when we gather and, and, and worship the Lord. And he quotes, Paul quotes several of them. I'll quote it. He quotes Psalm 18. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and will sing to your name. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Jews and Gentiles together in one tree, being brought together. In Ephesians 2, Paul explains how that middle wall of partition has been broken down, and now there's one people of God, Jews, true Jews, truly circumcised, circumcised in the heart, not the flesh. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. 117th Psalm, and again, Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. The Christian faith is an international faith. It is for all ethnic groups, all peoples, everywhere. Every time the Christian faith gets too bogged down in culture, it begins to distort itself. 
It's time for us to think in terms of God's kingdom, God's culture, and think and worry and, and give our, our time and attention to the building up of God's cultus, God's culture. Not just ethnic cultures, because all the ethnic groups subside and reside and fall apart and are really rendered very little. There's all tongues and all tribes and all kindreds are in the household of God. And then finally, in verse 12, he says, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Here's that Old Testament motif brought forward by Paul in his gospel preaching. The root of Jesse will come, even who arises to rule the Gentiles. I thought he was the king of the Jews. Yes, he is. But he's the king of the Gentiles because the Gentiles have been brought nigh. They've been brought together in with the, in with the Jews into the same tree trunk and into the same root and into the same tree. For even he who arises will rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. When that word hope comes up, now we have gospel preaching. And that's what Paul does over and over in the book of Romans here in, in verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. What else do we symbolize? What would we celebrate here at Christmas time? Then joy, joy to the world, peace on earth, goodwill. May the God of hope, there is hope for the sinner. There's hope for the lost Gentile. There's hope for those who've been cut off by the judgment of God to be restored with mercy that God gives us in Christ. In believing, that's faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The just shall live by faith. That's leaning on the Lord as, in, as it was described in the Old Testament. In believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Isn't that Trinitarian? We've got the God of hope. We've got the rod of Jesse, who's the son. And we have the Holy Spirit. All of the triune God at work for our salvation. In sending his son Jesus Christ to be our Savior. Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, not perish in all those judgments we talked about, but have everlasting life.